Well, good evening. Come right on in. Plenty of good seats up front. Looking forward to a great message this evening on the book of Ezra and the story of, of Ezra. Uh, I love that story, love that time period uh, in the history of Israel and the Old Testament. So looking forward to that tonight. A few prayer concerns. Uh, uh, this past Sunday, uh, Bud Collier and George Hill both responded asking for the church to pray for them and encourage them. And so be doing that. Feel free to send them a, a note or a text or give them a call. Our Mary June Goodson has been, uh, actually, she was in the South uh, Christus Hospital and was moved last night uh, to the main hospital downtown. She has an intestinal blockage, and uh, the last word when I talked to Melanie earlier today, uh, they weren't sure if they were going to keep her or not and what they were going to do from here. So uh, we'll try to update that uh, as soon as we know something. Continue to remember Ralph uh, Henderson, of course, uh, Gail Holt's parents, Gerald and Eleanor McMillan, uh, are uh, uh, in a, uh, suffering a lot, and uh, of course, Gail is very worried for them. Uh, Ronnie Brown of Mineola, uh, Lauren Delivide's father, son-in-law of Nina Crow, he'll have surgery uh, tomorrow, and I was texting a little bit with Lauren today, and they're very uh, concerned about that surgery. So let's be sure and remember them in our prayers. Gene Mormon's son, Barry, is suffering from COVID and is hospitalized in New Jersey. Uh, Davy Carter asks us to continue to remember his sister, uh, Sue Ellis. And uh, uh, one little word about our daughter, Amanda Atkinson. Uh, Amanda is the one uh, who lives in Arlington, Texas, and had brain surgery last year in February of 2020. She has a, it's not completely rare, but it's a bit uncommon uh, condition called Chiari malformation, which means that there's some things that aren't right in her, uh, uh, in her brain cavity. And, uh, and so she's had a lot more problems with that over the last few weeks. Uh, it's affecting her hearing some, it's affecting her vision some. So she's very worried, we're very worried, uh, but uh, she's still going through some tests. We're not sure what will happen from here, uh, but uh, uh, we're looking forward to our kids and grandkids from Maryland coming to see us. It's been a, a year and a half since we've seen them. And so we'll all be able to be together uh, towards the end of July. So we're looking forward to that. That will be good therapy and treatment for all of us. But please, if you don't mind, remember Amanda and Paul uh, and our little 10-year-old grandson, Isaac, uh, in your prayers as well. Others that are on our prayer list, on our app, and uh, on the emails, you'll see it in the bulletin this week. We're proud to announce, very grateful to God and to our wonderful uh, Youth Minister Search Committee uh, to announce that uh, Tucker Sullivan will be with us as Youth Minister beginning July 11th. We will have a church-wide fellowship meal that day as well, and uh, he is engaged to Elizabeth Hunt. Uh, they are both from Oklahoma, and uh, they will be married on September the 4th, but they will both be here a week from Sunday on July 11th, and their parents will be here as well. And I think that is such an exciting thing. And so we're very, very pleased with them, super excited 
about this wonderful young couple that are genuinely devoted to the Lord and to his church and to his word. And we're really looking forward to them joining us as our church family and joining us on our staff uh, as well. Uh, and Michael will lead us in a song, and then our, our uh, friend and brother and minister, Davey Carter, will lead us in a prayer. Michael will lead us in another song. And then um, I w- want to say a word, just a second, Michael, about Jerry Savage. Uh, many of you know him, Jerry and LaVon, uh, from uh, Sulphur Springs, the wonderful League Street Church of Christ there. Many of you have connections uh, with that church in that area, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, they, I get to go and be there. Uh, next month, I believe on July the 21st, and uh, always a treat to get to be there with that wonderful family. Uh, Jerry has been through quite a lot in his life uh, from uh, health perspectives, and we're just very pleased. He said they've been uh, there with Lake Street for nine years, and that is a testament to uh, them and to their love for the Lord, love for preaching and ministry, and love for that church family. We are blessed to have you tonight, brother. Give our regards and love to your wife and family. And he will be sharing with us in just a little bit about Ezra. Michael. Let's sing together. Oh, land of rest for thee, I saw God, we thank you so much for being our Father, for being our Creator, Father, for being our Sovereign uh, Lord. We thank you, Father, for uh, the gift of your Son, that that gift, Father, that we as humans can can hardly uh, comprehend or understand. And yet we know, Father, that 
you loved us to such an extent that you were willing to give your only begotten Son for our sins. We're grateful, Father, that he was that precious, spotless lamb, that he certainly qualified to be uh, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We're grateful, Father, for each opportunity we have as as your people, as the church, to assemble together, Father, to sing these songs of praise to you, to honor and glorify your name. The ability, Father, you give us, the privilege that we have of approaching you in prayer, knowing that you hear our prayers and you answer uh, them in accordance to your will. And so we come before you this evening, Father, mentioning a number of our own who, who need uh, your help and our help. And we pray, Father, you'd be with the call of your family and help them, Father, through their uh, struggles that they're facing right now. We're grateful, Father, to, to hear the good news about uh, Brother George Hill coming forward this Sunday asking for strength, that he might be a better husband, father, leader, Christian man. May we be there, Father, for him as an encouragement and as an inspiration as he is to us. Father, we're grateful for the Goodson family. We ask that you be with Mary June and be with Ralph Henderson and Marcus Turner. Be with the McMillan family. Be with Lauren Delivide's dad, Gene Mormon's son, Amanda Agison, and my sister, uh, Sue Ellis. And I'm certain, Father, there are others that we could bring before your throne this evening, but you know who they are and you know their needs. You know what their requests would be to you. And we pray, Father, that you would look down upon them with your uh, loving kindness and mercy. Father, we're grateful for this summer series and, and the theme of looking forward, conquered or conquerors. One of the most precious promises we have in your word, Father, is found in your book that teaches us that through Christ we are made more than conquerors. And there are so many things in our world and our society that try to conquer us. So many temptations, so many issues, so many downfalls. And we know, Father, those situations are led by the ruler of this world, the devil himself, but you, you conquer him. And so can we. Father, we look so forward to July 11th and the coming of Tucker Sullivan. and We have prayed so long, Father, that you would send us the right person, and we believe that you have. We're excited to have him here and to work with our youth and to have him as a part of our ministry team. Father, we're looking so forward to working alongside him and, and Elizabeth, and we just pray, Father, that that you would be with them in their upcoming marriage on September 4th, that they would have a long and happy, fruitful marriage for you. Father, we also ask that you be with Brother Savage this evening as he speaks to us on the life of Ezra. And I'm just especially grateful, Father, that he's able to be here at all that you have shown him your kindness and your mercy through some very difficult times, Father, especially 
health-wise, but you've made it possible that he could be here tonight and, and speak to us from your holy word. Father, we realize that uh, you have brought many of us through some difficult times, and we're so grateful uh, that you've done that for us. Help us, Father, to be servants, to have a servant heart, always willing, Father, to do your will, speaking as Isaiah would speak, here am I, send me. Father, we ask you would forgive us when we sin against you, as we repent of those sins and turn back to you. Watch over us, Father. Protect us. Keep us in your care. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. songs. Good evening, everyone. Wow, it's good to see you here after a, a couple of uh, very interesting months over the last 15 months. We do get to count 2020 off. It never really did happen. So it's, uh, it's good that we didn't skip any years at all getting together. Um, let, me, uh, let me just compliment you on on what I've experienced already here tonight. Um, there's some good stuff going on with this congregation. Um, exciting things. Now, Chris met me not long after I came in the door and, uh, and he said, you might, you might wanna see this. And so we walked to your children's wing, your children's megalopolis. And it was incredible. So I was taking pictures of everything and, and really inspired. I'm going to bring one of my elders and, and the, the people that work with our kids. And we're just going to actually move in here. Uh, you thought I was just going to visit. No, I think, okay, we're moving in. I love that. In fact, I told somebody I, I'm looking forward to uh, being four years old again so that I could come here and spend time with the church. Uh, you have walked with me through some things over the past few years. And so I thank you for that. And so many have prayed for me around Texas, around a lot of places. And, and I too am glad to, to be seen and not viewed. And that's probably a good way to say that. 
Um, tonight, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different than I've done before. Usually I shoot from the hip and usually I tell a lot of stories and, and try to make it all mesh uh, with whatever we're studying. And I'm gonna approach this a little differently tonight because Ezra is such a, an impactful book, uh, but the vast majority of people have never read it. Now, the reason that I chose just Ezra, it was offered, you can do Nehemiah and Ezra, or just Nehemiah or just Ezra. And one thing happened to me a year and a half ago, my daughter and her husband, who live in Nashville, Tennessee, they had, a child, my grandson, and they named him Ezra. And so that day I picked up my Bible and I said, okay, I got to figure out what Ezra is about because I'm going to be saying that name for a lot of years and I need to know what this study is about. And so here's what I'm asking you to do tonight. I'm asking you to get a piece of paper or, or, or just make an attempt to, to look at this book um, from its divisions. It's divided into 10 different chapters. And what I've done, I've gone through each chapter, and I don't know how many times I've read this whole context before, but in each chapter, there's one line that just explodes off the page to me, or maybe it's a concept that just explodes off the page. And that's what I put down as, as chapter one, as chapter two, as chapter three. And so we're going to look at that in that sequence and, and, and not just randomly go wherever we wanna go. It's gonna be very methodical tonight. So I hope that they don't mind if you get a card out of the pew in front of you and write a little bit if you wanna do that. Um, another reason I chose Ezra is because my father, who was a minister, preacher for 50 years, he talked a lot about Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah and the building of the wall and all those kind of stories, which are so exciting. And then he used to tell this, uh, that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible. You've probably heard it before, Nehemiah, you know, but that's wrong because there's one of the friends of Job, uh, when the story of Job and his name was Bildad the Shuhite, the Shuhite, maybe anyway, so... I couldn't follow exactly my father's footsteps, but I do wanna follow in the footsteps of Ezra because as we begin to read this story, it's really, I think him telling the story, in fact, he doesn't even show up till chapter seven, but he sets the stage for the most important part of the story. And that's when he comes on the scene. And so let's start with a little bit of history before we jump in to chapter one. Um, if, you've, if you've done any kind of Bible history, you'll know that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar um, was the king. Some say it's called Babylon, sometimes it's called Persia. Um, and, and he had taken a lot of God's people out of the promised land. Uh, that's uh, the Jerusalem area, Jerusalem, Judea, all of that, even, even north. Actually, the kingdom of God had been divided with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but he didn't play favorites. He said, let's just round them all up and take them to where he was, to, to, to Babylon. 
and they went into a type of slavery, at least giving honor to that king over there. And some 70 years later, um, different historians say there were a few other years thrown in there. For some reason, this guy named Cyrus, who's now in charge, he gets a message from God to do something. Actually, it's so foreign to what that country was used to because uh, Nebuchadnezzar before him did not like those Jewish people. They were rebels. They were intended to be slaves. They were the kind of people that you want, you know, in your territory just to serve you. And, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't like their God either. And now the next king, you might say, gets a message from God. Okay, so, so let's read a little section and then we're gonna talk about it. Chapter one, verse one through four. This is the way it goes. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, um, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled. So Jeremiah the prophet had talked about this happening. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Go figure, uh, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judea and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who's in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So not only does the king say, hey, if you're from Jerusalem and you want to go back there because your God is there, he told me, just get on out here, that's fine. In fact, we're going to pay your way. We're going to gather up all the funds we can and we're going to help you guys get there because this is a message from God. And you're going to go. So, so here's the first line. The first thing you can do it put by chapter one, God is in control. If you didn't know it, God can control leaders of every country at any time. He's able to influence Cyrus. We'll talk about another situation in a little bit. But he can, if it's going to benefit his people in the best way, he can control. He can say, listen, here's what I want you to do, and they will do it. Flash to us right quickly. So many people worry about us, America, and there's challenges everywhere you see. I still believe God is in control. And I still believe we don't need to worry. Should we be concerned for our children? Our grand? Absolutely. But God will have his church. He will have his people. And he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to make that happen. So let me read some things that I wrote down here. Um, let's see. Uh, never forget that God can change the hearts of rulers at any time he wants. If he wants a different outcome for his people. Let's stop there at chapter one, God is in control. 
Let's go to chapter 2. I'm going to try to skip down through these things pretty quickly because there's 10 to cover. Chapter 2. I want you to read chapter 2, verse 70, if you will, with me. It says, Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. Now this comes after a whole chapter of naming all of these people that were leaving Persia and going to Jerusalem, going back to the area and settling in, some of them in the same houses that they lived in before, some of them. And some of them knew that everything had been destroyed, but they knew where they wanted to set up their tent. If you read down through this list, you'll realize, especially if you look at verse 40 and then verse 43, and then you see how they sum it up. There's something like 50,000 people go back to the area of Jerusalem. And the majority of them were of the house of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. And it was the, the temple servants that went along with them. So all of these spiritually minded, faithful to God, maybe you can say that, people, they're the first ones to say, let me lead everybody back to God's place. Here's the line to write for chapter two. Let the spiritual people among us lead. I think that, uh, that, that throughout Babylon, tough times had happened. Some lost their faith, but many kept their faith. They might be called the spiritual ones who led this first group back to Jerusalem. In 2, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, there's one guy there and his name is Nehemiah. So it, it notes... That, that Nehemiah was going back with his first group. And that's probably the same Nehemiah that said, you know, let me, let me build this wall for God. So the spiritual people led the movement back. And there were actually three different movements of people back to Jerusalem. And here's where I have in my notes that I tell you a story. Because sometimes we get people to lead who are very available and even very talented, but they're not necessarily the right kind of leaders for God's church. When I was a young youth minister and, uh, and we had a pretty substantial group, um, there were no elders of the group at the time. It was a young church and about 25 guys got together and they said, okay, we would like to have somebody to be the deacon over youth. Now, as youth minister, what that really meant was we really don't trust our kids with Jerry, so we need a deacon over youth. That's what it meant. I didn't understand that at the time. Um, they put some names in the hat, and a couple of them volunteered and said, put my name in the hat. But when they chose the guy that they really put some thought into to become that deacon over youth guy, who this guy eventually became an elder of the first elders of that church, one of them. Um, there was another guy in the audience that stood up. I mean, they were just sitting around in the 
in the auditorium. He stood up and stomped his foot and stormed out. And so I called him Bob. I saw Bob leave, and, and so I got up and kind of went out with Bob. And he was in the parking lot, and he was mad, and he was pushing around on the cars. And, and he, said, uh, he said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I just want to come see how you're doing, Bob. And uh, he said, I'm mad. He said, I would have made a blankety-blank good deacon over youth. Fill in whatever you want in that blank. It was obvious he was not going to be the one who would have the influence over the teenagers or God's people. I learned a lot that day. You see, God intends and God expects men who are going to lead his people to be deeply dedicated spiritual people. That's it. And so this is just one short example of that. So that's chapter two, let the spiritual people among us lead. Here's chapter three. You can write this in your column or on your piece of paper. Not everyone will be happy with the progress. If you're trying to do something beautiful for the kingdom and and great for God, and, and I think in the small print of this passage, it talks about children's ministry, developing facilities, It may not have that. Um, Look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 3. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this temple, this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of joyful, the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping from the people that shouted in great joy and the sound was heard far away. Somebody said this one time, if nothing is moving, there will be no friction. But if something is moving, there will be friction. Not everybody was happy with, with what they saw the developing on the, the temple foundation. And they wept aloud. And they even began to cause a little trouble. But keep this in mind. What happened was, instead of these guys going to work, now, now do the math here, going to work and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the wall and all those things, Instead of it being just a few short months after they all showed up there, 50,000 of them, and they started building, it was two years later until somebody had the idea, well, I guess we better build the temple. Somehow, some way, those negative naysayers had put a stop to what these folks were intending to do, told to do, commissioned to do. All of a sudden, somebody put the brakes on. Chapter four, don't be afraid of friction. Look at chapter four and verse 23 and 24. Then when a copy of the king, uh, King Artaxerxes, that is, letter was read before Rehum and uh, Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in, in haste to the Jews of Jerusalem and by force and the power made them cease. Then the work of the house of the God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius. That's the next king. 
not only were some of the old men of the temple that had seen the temple before, uh, that had seen the, the possibilities, how beautiful it was, had they complained and wept and all that, but there were people out in the countryside that didn't like what was going on. In fact, the situation was some of them came, came and said, let us help you work and build this thing. And then they said, no, no, you, you didn't go over with us into captivity. You kind of hung around here and, and you didn't really have the commission by God. And so we'll do this, don't you worry about it. Well, those people wrote a letter way back to the king over there, back in Persia, back in Babylon, and said, listen, these guys are gonna build this thing and put a wall there and they won't pay taxes, they won't pay tribute to you, they won't honor you. Artaxerxes shut them down. We as a church, when we begin to make progress, to evangelize people, to, to build on, to, to influence people for the cause of Christ. There will be challenges from within and there will be challenges from without. They, they just don't understand that this is about God and not about us. That was the situation back then. These people are gonna make themselves look good, so good that they don't need the king back there, Artaxerxes, and so he shut them down. But don't be afraid of friction. Um, once again, where there is no movement, there's no friction. But where there is movement, there will always be friction. Chapter five, here we go. We're almost halfway through. The eye of God is always on his people. Now that's found in five, just that first part there, five, I think it's five, um, yes, chapter five, verse five. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, now that's the next king, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Okay, some guys finally said, listen, we have been shut down long enough. We were shut down by the people that were angry within us. We were shut down by the people that wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. He said, stop, I can't stand it anymore. Something good's gotta happen to the temple. Some of the guys went back to work. Well, some of those naysayers again wrote back over there to Persia and said, who's in charge over there? Well, Artaxerxes isn't in charge anymore. Another guy's in charge. His name is Darius. And he said, we want you to stop them again. And so Darius does some history and he says, wait a minute, I know that somebody along the line said for them to go ahead and build this. So they get to go ahead and build this. Now, have you ever heard of Darius before? Darius was the king that was in charge there whenever uh, Daniel in the lion's den, when that story happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. That was the king, something like that. He. He was very fond of God's people. Once he saw Daniel delivered and Shadrach delivered, he's like, I like your God and I like God's people. So whatever's happening back there in Jerusalem, I'm, I'm letting them go for it. In fact, I'm gonna support them. I'm gonna send them more money. Man, I like that kind of king. And here's chapter five. The phrase is, the eye of God is always on his people. Never wonder if God has his eye on you. He will see you if you're not serving him and he will see you if you're serving him. 
but his eye will also see your intent of your heart and the work of your heart and the faith of your heart and he will bless you. We sing the song, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. As a kid, I remember singing a very similar song and it had something to do with there's an all-seeing eye watching you. Remember that one? It's not in your book anymore. And I interpreted that as God is a lightning bolt God. And he's watching to see if I step out of line. He's watching to see if I let a word slip that I shouldn't let slip. That all-seeing eye is watching me. But then my father sat me down and said, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. He's watching what you're going to do in the kingdom. And he's excited about what's coming ahead for you. And he's thrilled at what you've been able to do, not for yourself, but for him. And he is going to bless you because he's watching. And he's that interested in every one of you. He is. That's chapter five. Chapter six. Here's the line. God will see you through any challenge. Chapter six, verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. By the way, there's some letters in here from them. Uh, The son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year. They finished the project. They got it done because God is their God. Now, if you look very closely, what we're really seeing is during the course of this study, this book, there are really four kings. One is Nebuchadnezzar, the one that drug God's people out. But then you also have Cyrus and you have Artaxerxes and then you have Darius. And all three of those realize the value of God's people in their community the community of Babylon, the community of Persia. Do you remember where it said, let me think about where that was. I've got it written here somewhere. Um, when you go, God says to God, to, to his people, when you go over there and you're in captivity over there in Babylon, build houses, make gardens and serve me. And in doing so, you will serve the king and he will recognize that I am with you. When our world around us gets really dark and scary, just keep living for God. That's it. And you will make a difference in the community, in the culture that exists around you. God will see you through any challenge. This was not the first time people tried to... uh, to get God's people to stop, but they just kept on going and they finished the project. God will work so that his people will conquer and others will fall, which leads right back into your theme for this summer. You're more than conquerors. Faith is a victory and all of those things because God is on our side. Chapter seven, here we go. I'm gonna have to speed her up. Chapter seven, look at, this in chapter uh, seven, it talks. Uh, and back check, back in chapter two, it mentioned Nehemiah the worker, and then in chapter seven, verse ten is where Ezra is introduced for the first time. 
But listen to this. Ezra had set his heart, this is 710, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and, and rules in Jerusalem, excuse me, in, in Israel. Here's what's happening. The inspired people, God has set us free. We're going back and we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to rebuild the walls. And those people were already at it. And they were getting busy building this building. Those are the workers of God's kingdom. They're going to get stuff done. They're the kind that say, show me to, uh, to the children's wing. I'll do some work over there. Show me to the garden or the yard and show me. I just want to help. Let me help. And there's a lot of workers that went first. Ezra gathers up a bunch of other kind of people. They're the people that are dead set on the law of God, the word of God coming into the scene. You see, if you don't have the word of God with a big gathering and building process if you don't have a healthy dose of the word of god it's just a social club that's it and we see that on television all the time big groups of people doing you know fantastic things and yet the word of god has nothing to do with what they're doing and ezra says let me make sure and bring the word of god to this event to this experiment to this following of God and we're going to merge the two together so here's the line from chapter 7 it takes workers and teachers to get God's work done Ezra was not going to pick up a hammer but Ezra was going to pick up a Bible and it takes workers and teachers to get the work of God done. Pew Research recently said that of all people in America that call themselves dedicated Christians, only one-third of them read the Bible every week. There needs to be an influx of the word of God into the homes of Christian folks and non-Christian folks. Do we need to do some kind things for them and feed the hungry and clothe uh, those who, who need clothes? Absolutely, we need to do those things. But if we do that without the word of God, it is pointless. We need to bring the word of God into their lives. And first we do that bring, by bringing it into our lives. Chapter eight, here's the line, God will protect his people. Verse 21 through 23. And I proclaimed a fast, this is Ezra there, uh, at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king of a band of soul. Uh, for a band of soldiers and, and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Here's the story when Ezra left, and he started to go down to Jerusalem. He had the big group of, of really knowledgeable Bible, or at least the history in the Old Testament of of God's people with them, they didn't bring anybody to protect them because they'd already let it be known to everybody that God, he's gonna protect us. 
And then I got to finish with this verse. Look at 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava and on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushers by the way. Have you ever felt that God stepped in and delivered you or protected you or honored you over some other situation? God steps in, I believe, all the time to protect his people, just like he did back then. And God will still protect his people. Ezra was not, excuse me, he was a lover, not a fighter. That's Ezra. He had no army, but headed to Jerusalem anyway. We are called to be the same, lovers, not fighters. We love God and others. God will protect us. And we are called to pray for ourselves, for our children, for everything. To move people from faith to faithfulness. Chapter nine, here we go. Here's my favorite title of any of the chapters. Dogs often return to their vomit. You know that's in the Bible somewhere else too, don't you? Let me read chapter nine, one through four. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Stalagmites, the Stalactites, the Egyptians, the Amorites. Verse two, they have taken some of their daughters to be their wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And and in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garments, Ezra did, and my cloak and pulled my hair from my head and, and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. Dogs often return to their vomit. If you do a little study about, well, it's back in Deuteronomy chapter seven, one through four, and it says, when you go into this land, this promised land, people of God, when you go in there, don't have anything to do with those people around you. Don't take them as wives. Don't just, 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 that's not in your future. So the thing that they did was the opposite. And they worshiped the gods of those people and they married those, the wives, the, the women of those people. And, and, and that's exactly what got them sent back into captivity nearly a hundred years later. Excuse me, nearly a hundred years after they had been in captivity. Somehow Satan knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? Sometimes around here today, intermarriage works. Most of the time, it doesn't. Now, when I say intermarriage, I I mean Christian people marrying non-Christian people. Sometimes it works. Most of the time, it doesn't. As a young um, youth minister, I used to tell 
in the story, but it was more of a visual aid. I would get the smallest teenager I could find and have him stand in a chair. And then I would get the largest teenager I could find and have them stand on the floor. And I would say, hey, you, up in the chair, you Christian teenager guy, that guy's a non-Christian, but you want to get him to be a Christian, so would you reach down and just pull him up into that chair? And there was no way he could do it. He pulled all his might, couldn't get him up. And then I would say, hey, you, you're the non-Christian in this story. Would you reach up there and pull that Christian guy off his high horse chair? So simple. And God's people were in danger again because of their surrounding had become them. And they didn't stand out from their surrounding. So when we think about dogs returning to vomit, it's what they were doing once again. Here it is, chapter 10. Some of you never thought we'd get there. We're here. Here's the line, verse 1 and 2. When you mess up, fess up. Verse 1, verse 2. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men and women and children gathered him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly and Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Here's a guy that said, I, I, I want to confess for everybody, we have missed the boat again, but there's still hope. There is still hope. With our God, there is still hope. And I've got to turn to this New Testament passage and I'm going to close with this, okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. Let's start at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we, have, we don't sin, then we are liars and we make God out to be a liar. And this fits so perfectly with the conclusion of this story. God's people mess it up. We do. And the first thing he says is confess it and say, I missed it, God, forgive me. And just like was said to Ezra, but now because of our God, we still have hope because of what God can do in forgiveness and giving us life because of Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing that I wrote. Ezra tells our story of sin and the ramifications of sin, of forgiveness and return to him, and then sin again and the ramifications of sin. But confession and forgiveness because we have hope. A couple of the times in scripture there in this book of Ezra, it talks about God's people and God wanting them to simply be obedient. That's what he asks. Just do what he says, and he will 
come to the rescue. He will make success happen. He will make you more than conquerors. Just do what he says. Live the way he chooses because he knows he created us. He knows what's best for us. Just do what he says. And life here will be incredible. And so will life be eternally. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Pray with me and we're finished tonight. Thank you for going through this with me. Our Holy Father, our God, our Creator, our Master, you have blessed us so incredibly. How dare we ask for anything more? Especially you've blessed us through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of him and the blood that was shed for us so that we might be with you eternally. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And tonight, I especially want to thank you for this little book, Story of Ezra and your people and how you stuck by them and forgave them and blessed them and made them more than conquerors more than once. May we understand that that's who you are. Yes, you want us to be obedient. Yes, you want us to follow, but not only for our sake, but so that you might get the glory and other people will be brought to you by our lives that you bless us with. Father, be with this church that it can be a stronghold, a mighty temple, and not just the walls that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who will stand strong and glorify you no matter what comes so that others might come to you for salvation. And it's for that salvation we thank you. And through Jesus Christ, we pray tonight. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me be here.